We've come to the third and last part in our series, Recapturing the Wonder of Adventism. And um, this final message is entitled, Writing the Last Chapters. And I believe you and I are called into God's story to do exactly that. There are some last chapters of Earth's history that need to be written, and we can be part of that. And so I look forward to, um, to share with you what God has laid on my heart um, I'll also mention that um, normally when I'm here, I'm here together with my wife. It was about a year ago, the last time I was here. Uh, my wife is not with me this time, and there's a reason for that, because she's pregnant. And in about one month, we are expecting our first child. So maybe next time we come, we'll come, the three of us. And uh, we're very happy and, of course, anticipating uh, this, as this is going to be a great, a great change in our lives, but a great blessing as well, I believe. I know that the greatest uh, testimony for God is a a well-ordered family, and and that is our great prayer, that 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 may be a testimony in our family. Um, I would like to have another word of prayer as we open God's word, and I invite you to bow your heads together with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can be gathered together here, and we ask once again that your Holy Spirit will be poured out upon us. Lord, we need you so much. There's nothing that we can do without you, and yet with you all things are possible. Lord, as we seek to recapture the wonder of Adventism, that we may, I pray that we may truly understand our identity, who we are. For Lord, when we truly understand our identity, it will give power to our mission. So please, grant us your spirit, grant us your presence. Again, I pray that all hindrance may be removed from us so that we will clearly understand what you have for each and every one of us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The scriptures reveal the history of God. It is his story. And they span 6,000 years. And here we are in the very end. We are anticipating the coming of Jesus, the advent of Christ. And prophecy reveals that Jesus is soon coming, and that's not just merely a cliche, amen? He is indeed soon coming. Now, we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, and an Adventist is referring to someone that is awaiting the advent, the coming of Christ. And I believe that the truth of Seventh-day Adventism, it must impact our lives and shape our lives, Sometimes we narrow down what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. See, a Seventh-day Adventist is not just someone that goes to church on Saturday, Sabbath, and that awaits the second coming of Christ in the end of time, Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist. Even though it is important that we follow God's word all the way and go and fellowship and worship on the right day, Sabbath, the Saturday, And it is very important that we have a correct understanding that Jesus indeed will come back in the end of time, Adventist. Yet, being a Seventh-day Adventist, listen very carefully, is not limited to a day once a week and an event in the end of time. Are you with me? Recapturing the wonder of Adventism is recapturing the meaning of the Sabbath and the advent of Christ every day and every moment of our lives. We, found, we already found out in our, in our second part this morning of our series that um, 
The Sabbath is a beautiful manifestation of the character of God. And the first time the Sabbath was introduced, it was introduced as the time that God sanctified. And when God sanctifies time, he sets it aside as something special, and time is something that always comes to us. We talked about how that in many religions there are sacred objects and there are sacred places. And so in order to experience God, in many, according to many religions, you need to go to a sacred place or you need to obtain a sacred object. But in God's story, he sanctifies time. And that mean, and that shows that time, since it is coming to us, God is initiating this relationship with us and he's inviting us into his story. We were created on the sixth day and then a rest follows. God's story is there and we are invited to become part of it. We are invited to enter into his rest. And so it is also when we talk about the advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ, it is not merely an event at the end of time. Just like the Sabbath is not merely an event once a week. The Sabbath, being a seventh-day Christian, means that we realize that God has sanctified time and that he is coming to us, that we can enter into his story. And being an Adventist, believing that Christ will come again at the end of time, is not just that we're waiting for that event, but it is anticipating Christ's coming every moment of our lives. Um, I think that um, um, being a Seventh-day Adventist, being an Adventist, is the realization that Christ wants to come every day of our lives. He wants to come into our lives. He invites us to be part of his story. You know, now that uh, my wife and I are anticipating a child... Um, this is something that you think a lot about and, and plan for and, and your life starts revolving now around this anticipation. Uh, there's great joy, there's happiness, there's excitement. And being a Seventh-day Adventist is living with this anticipation of the coming of Christ. Again, not just in the end of time, but even every single day when he comes to us and lives his life through us. But we want to look at how we can live in the spirit of Adventism. How can we live in the spirit of anticipation and, and, and God working in us? Him writing the last chapters through our experience. And I want to go to a couple of examples in scripture that I, that I believe can be helpful for us to learn what it means to live with the spirit of, in the spirit of Adventism, or to recapture the wonder of Adventism. And the first story in Scripture that I would like to take you to is found in 1 Samuel. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 10. 1 Samuel, in the 10th chapter. And we're going to be looking at the story of Saul, the first king in Israel. So we press the rewind button and we go back to the time of Samuel the prophet and the time that the first king came on the scene in Israel. And you will remember that the people were unrestful and they wanted a king like the nations around them. Up to this time they had had judges and prophets that had led them, but they desperately wanted a king. And Saul was providentially brought to Samuel and pointed out by God to be the first king in Israel. 
And you might remember the story of how Saul, he lost his donkey and he was looking for his donkey and then he ends up hearing about Samuel and, and he thinks Samuel's a prophet, maybe he can help and he makes his way to the city where, where Samuel is and then this amazing anointing takes place where Samuel anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. And if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 10, let's pick up the story right there in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. Poured on the, this is the, the um, soul that is being anointed here. He kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Silsah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? So the prophet pours the oil on the head of Saul and predicts that he's now going to be the next king. But then he also gives a detailed description, a very specific instruction as to what is going to happen the moment that Saul leaves the prophet Samuel. He says, when you leave, you're going to find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin. And they will tell you that the donkeys that you've been looking for have been found. And then he goes on with giving very specific detailed descriptions of what the soul is going to experience. Look at verse 3. Then you shall go forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you shall receive from their hands. Now, now, just imagine, this is not just some random description here. Yeah, you'll go and maybe, you know, Samuel knew the way and so he said, yeah, you'll see, you know, the mountain there on your side and, and you'll see that building and everyone knows that the mountain is there and the building is there. That's not the description he's giving. He's giving a specific description. You're going to walk. When you come to the grave of Rachel, there's going to be two men. You're going to hear about the donkeys. You're going to continue. You're going to see three men. One man has three loaves. One man has... And all these detailed descriptions. And look, let's continue. Verse 4. And they will greet you, the three men. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread. Very specific. Which you shall receive from their hands. Verse 5. After that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is and it will happen. No, not like it, this could happen or this is likely to happen. The prophet says it will happen when you come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute and a harp before them. Very specific. And they will be prophesying. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them. And listen to this. This is incredible. And you will be turned into another man. Now I want you to capture. I just want you to capture for a moment the significance of what the prophet is saying here. Saul was looking for his donkeys. He was occupied with his own story. I mean, what did he do in life? He was, you know, taking care of donkeys, taking care of animals. 
you know, organizing the household of his father. That was his story. His donkeys get lost. He looks for them. He hears about this prophet that might be able to help him because the prophet in, days, in those days was called a seer. He could see things that we cannot see with human eyes. Maybe he knew where those donkeys were. So he goes to Samuel. And Samuel, when he sees Saul coming, the Lord tells Samuel, this is the one that I have appointed to be the king over Israel. And so he came for his donkeys but then when he came for his donkeys, he, he finds himself suddenly in a different kind of story. And it's not his own story. It's the story of God. And he just gets invited in. And, and Samuel places you know, his, he- his hands upon his head and he pours oil on his head. And he is now anointed the king of Israel. And Samuel says, you're going to leave this place and this is going to happen. 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 And all this detailed description of what, Sam, what Saul is going to experience. And this is exactly what he experiences. He walks away from Samuel. And sure enough, he comes to Rachel's tomb. And sure enough, um, he finds two men that tell him where his donkeys are. And he continues and he comes to the terebinth tree of Tabor and he meets three men, one carrying three go- one having three goats, the other three loaves of bread and the other a skin of wine. And yes, one of them, the one that has the two loaves of bread, uh, he receives that from their hands. He continues to go on. He meets the group of prophets. And then the culmination of the story, the spirit of God comes upon him. And take notice as we continue to read in verse 6. Then the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you will do as the occasion demands for God is with you. Verse 7, I want us to just focus on the phrase there in verse 7. When these signs come to pass... Do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You can imagine what it must have been like for Saul to leave the prophet Samuel. And he's thinking, wow, now that was, that was quite some things there that I just heard. And he's walking, and sure enough, he comes to the tomb of Rachel, and he sees those two men. And they tell him exactly what the prophet told them. And he goes on, and he experiences exactly what the prophet has spoken over and over and over again. And you know what this is? These are signs. Signs that now he is part of a different story. Signs that he is part of God's story. Nothing he had prepared for, nothing he had ever imagined, nothing he had ever dreamed, but now suddenly he finds himself in a different story, God's story. And God's story would lead him to a moment where he would receive the Spirit of God and would be turned into another man, a new person. And so he's anticipating this moment. Can you imagine? He sees the terebinth trees. He's, he moves through the story that the prophet has portrayed in such detailed language. And he knows in just a moment, just beyond the horizon, he's going to come to the place where he'll meet the prophets. He will receive the spirit of God. He will become another man. And he comes to that place and he sees the prophets and the prophets are prophesying. And then he comes to that moment and the spirit falls upon him and Saul is turned into another man. And I love what it says there in verse 7. When the signs come to pass, Samuel says to Saul, do as the occasion demands for God is with you. 
My friends, if King Saul had made those words of Samuel the slogan of his life, he would have been the best king that Israel would have ever known. If he had made, verse 7, these words of the prophet, the very foundation of all his decisions and choices, he would have been a king that would have been greatly blessed by the Lord and greatly used by God. He saw the signs. And what did he have to do? What was his part in this great story of God? His part in the great story of God was do as the occasion demands. Do as the occasion demands. He had to keep walking. When he came to Rachel's tomb, he had to keep going, keep going, keep focusing on what's coming next, making his way through this story of God in order to receive the outpouring of the Spirit and in order to experience the work of the Spirit in his life to turn him into another man. And for us today, we are living at a time where God is inviting us into his story and he has given us prophets that have told us what will come to pass in the last days of earth's history. We have a lot of signs today. And as we are walking through this life, we see that these signs are happening. Every single day we are seeing signs of the approaching of Jesus the second time. And as these signs are happening, we also must anticipate that we are going to receive the Spirit of God. In the Bible, we learn about the early reign, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the early disciples, but we also learn about the latter reign or the last outpouring of God's Spirit upon the final generation. And just as Saul saw the signs taking place, which led to his anointing, his anointment from the Holy Spirit, so you and I are seeing signs happening around us that are leading us to the moment of the anointing of God's Holy Spirit in the latter days, in the last days of earth's history. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and I want to look together with you at how was the early rain poured out and what must happen for the latter rain to be poured out. We are living in a time in earth's history where God has told us that he wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. And there is something for you and me as a generation living today. There is something that we must do in order to receive that Spirit. We must do as the occasion demands just like Saul had to do as the occasion demands. Sadly, Saul turned his heart away from God, and what could have been an amazing blessing, his life became a curse. And sadly, the, even though he was turned into another man in the beginning of his period as a king, he decided to wrestle himself out of the hands of God, and he lost the Holy Spirit of God. And he turned back into the man that he was before. And the story of God, God had to raise up other kings to continue his story. The, the, the lineage of Saul stopped and God chose David, a man after his own heart. And, and we talked a little bit about this in our, in our uh, second presentation. How God wants us as a generation to enter into the promised land. But it will take faith. Unbelief is what is hindering us. 
And just like God had to turn away from Saul and choose a new king, so he can well turn away from our generation and wait for the next. But it is up to us to say, God, we want you to work in our lives. We want to be part of your story. We want to write these last chapters. We want to surrender ourselves fully to you and receive the spirit that you have promised. Now, if you're in Acts chapter 1, take notice. This is how the early rain was poured out. We have a description here. And it's very similar things must happen for the latter rain to be poured out, the last outpouring of God's spirit in the end of time. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. This is the last conversation between Jesus and his disciples just prior to Jesus ascending up into heaven. And being assembled together with them, he, that is Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So God gives the promise to the disciples. I'm leaving, but I have a gift for you, and that gift is the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing gift. This would empower them to enter into God's story and to be effective witnesses of him. And yet they did not understand really the chronology of God. They thought that something else was to happen next. They were anticipating and waiting for the setting up of an earthly kingdom where Jesus would become king and overthrow the Romans that, had, that were oppressing the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel at that time. Take notice of their response in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They are anticipating an earthly kingdom. And yet listen to what Jesus says in verse 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I love these moments in scripture where God just simply tells us this is what's going to happen. I mean, whatever you think and whatever you anticipated and whatever your, wherever your mind is and whatever you believe is going to happen next, God simply says, this is what's going to happen. He told Moses what was going to happen to the Israelites and how they would be delivered and led into the promised land. He told, he told Saul through Samuel exactly what was going to happen before his anointing. And we have so many instances in Scripture where God simply relates his will to us. And he says to his disciples here, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. You will preach the gospel. And you will start in Jerusalem. You're not going going anywhere first. First Jerusalem, that's my story. First Jerusalem. Then you will go and you will preach in Judea. Then you will go to Samaria and, and you will go to the ends of the earth. I mean, in the end, you'll go to Denmark, you'll go to Norway, you go to Greenland, Iceland, you go to New Zealand, you'll go to the ends of the earth, you'll go everywhere preaching the gospel of Christ. And of course, through the generations, the gospel has been preached in all parts of the earth, even unto the very ends of the earth. But I love, what I love about this, my friends, is just that, aren't you just glad that God's will happens? 
I mean, God is sovereign. Sovereign over everything. You know, he said to Daniel the prophet, he said, I I put up kings and I bring down kings. There's nothing man can do to hinder God's plan. There's nothing man can do to take away the story of God. History is his story. You can't rob it from him. It's his. He created the world. We didn't appear on the first day. We appeared on the sixth day. We were merely to enter into his story, not to control it, but to enjoy it and live according to the purpose for which he established it and wrote it. And we are called to write the last chapters of earth's history. And I'm so happy that we can enter into a story that is not ours, but that we nonetheless have a part to play in all of this. I'm so happy that the will of the disciples did not take place here, that Jesus said, oh yeah, you know what, that's actually a good idea, I didn't think about that. Maybe I should create an earthly kingdom. Maybe that's better right now. Thanks for, the, thanks for your opinion. You know, I'm so happy that that didn't happen. I'm so happy that the disciples had to surrender their plans to God. And they went back to Jerusalem, and they spent the 40 days in the upper room, and during this time, they had to learn what it meant to enter into God's story. They, sur- they surrendered. They confessed their sins to one another. Prior to this, the great question was, who is the greatest among us? And now the question was, how can we serve God best? And they surrendered their plans to God. They confessed their sins to one another. They spent time in prayer and heart searching. And the Bible tells us that they became of one accord. They became united in Christ. And when they were united in Christ, that moment came that we read about in chapter 2, that there came a rushing mighty wind into that upper room where they were gathered together, and the Holy Spirit was poured upon them, just like God had told them it would happen. Jesus told them, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit, it will come upon you, and you will preach in Jerusalem, and Samaria, and Judea, and unto the ends of the earth. Just like God told through the prophet Samuel to Saul, you're going to go and you're going to see these people and you're going to go to this place and then you're going to go to that place and then they're going to give you this and then you're going to continue. And then, at one moment, the Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to, become, you're going to be turned into another man. What we see in these stories is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over everything. It's his story. And, he, and he's not asking us today for our advice as to how he thinks the last chapter should be written. It's his story. He's going to write it. What is the task for you and for me to say, Lord, I am willing, I am willing to take part in your story. And I'm willing that you can, you can use me, frail and weak though I am, to write those last chapters so that we can enter into his story. And so we read about the early reign in the book of Acts. And how the Spirit was poured out upon them and miracles were wrought and there was power in their preaching. And and we see how churches were raised throughout the Mediterranean uh, areas and and how the the gospel was just just growing and growing in its influence amongst the heathens. And when you read about the early reign and the book of Acts, which it's just one of my favorite books because the story is so amazing and each chapter just has so much power in it. When you read about this early reign, you can only wonder what the latter reign must be like. I mean, if this was how it started, aren't the, aren't the last chapters the best ones in a book? I mean, isn't the end the best? I mean, if this is how it started, how is it going to end? 
You know, um, in the book Isaiah, chapter 44 and verse 3, um, we read the following, For I, this is God, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. God has promised to pour upon us his spirit. And, and, the, and the way this is described in scripture is like rain. It's like water to the thirsty. And so the experience of Acts is the early rain. It's just like when you have a crop, the early rain causes the seed to sprout up and start growing. And then there's the growth of the plant. There's the growth of the crop. But in order to complete it and for it to bear fruit, you need the last rain, the latter rain, just prior to the time of harvest. And when you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, that we're very familiar with, you have the three angels' messages. Right after the third angel's message, what is the next scene? It's Jesus that comes back. And what does he have in his hand? A sickle. And what do you do with a sickle? You harvest. So right after the three angels' messages, we have the harvest scene. Now, what produces the final harvest? Well, it must be the outpouring of God's Spirit. And there, by the way, there are two harvests, the harvest of the righteous and the harvest of the wicked. The harvest of the righteous is produced by the outpouring of God's spirit. And by the way, the harvest of the, of the wicked is, is, is the spirit of the devil, that he is manifesting through his people. And so in a sense, there is, there is an outpouring of God's spirit, but the devil is seeking to, to, to imbue his spirit upon his people. And it, and it creates this great harvest scene in the book of Revelation and the last part of chapter 14. And the question for each one of us is, how can we write these last chapters? How can we be part of God's story? And how can we receive God's spirit? I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Um, Turn to the book of James right after the book of Hebrews. This morning we spent some time in the book of Hebrews already. But turn now to the book of James. Chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 7. James chapter 5 and verse 7. We want to enter into God's story. And how do we do that and receive of his spirit? James chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We are waiting for the advent of Christ. We are waiting for the coming of the Lord. But look what it says next in verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. The early and the latter rain. The latter rain must be poured out in order for Christ to come again, in order for the harvest to be ripened. And the harvest is you and me, friends. And in order for us to bear fruit in our lives to the glory of God, to manifest his character in the final, during this final generation, we must receive the Holy Spirit, the latter rain. In Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1, it says the following, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now this, when I read this, and I read about how we should ask for the latter rain, I'm thinking back on the story that we started with. Saul comes to Samuel the prophet, 
And what does the prophet say? Okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. These are the signs that will happen, and then the Spirit will come upon you. But he says something very important. He says, do as the occasion demands. You remember? Do as the occasion demands. If that had been the slogan of the life of Saul, there would have been a def- a different, he would have been a different king, a different story. My friends, this must become our slogan. Do as the occasion demands. We are seeing the signs that we're living in the last days. We are seeing abundant evidence that Jesus is soon going to come again. We are invited into his story. What does the occasion demand? It demands that we pray for the outpouring of the latter rain. Amen? I mean, this is, this is, everything is just like pointing to the fact that now is the time that God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. Now is the time that, that he, wants to give, he wants to give us the latter rain, but the Bible tells us that we must ask for the latter rain in the time of the latter rain. This is what the occasion demands from us. Now, there is a story in Scripture that I believe is going to repeat itself in our generation. And um, in James, if you're still in the book of James, I want you to take notice of chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, which mentions an individual. And what happened with this man in Scripture is something that God wants to repeat in each of our lives today. I want you to take notice of James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. You know, he did what the occasion demanded. He prayed earnestly. And it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. First there was a drought, and this was because of the apostasy of Israel. But then, verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. You might remember the story. Elijah comes before King Ahab and he pronounces that there's going to be a famine in the land and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then they are gathered all together on Mount Carmel. Elijah's there, King Ahab is there, the false prophets are there, all the people are there. And on that Mount of Carmel, Elijah did what the occasion demanded. He challenged the people. He challenged them. and He says, it is time for you to make a decision. Who will you serve? I want you to turn there to that story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Because this story is so crucial for us living today. This story in many ways reflects what God wants to do among us today. How do we write the final chapters? We need to have the spirit and power of Elijah. And 1 Kings chapter 18 brings us right into the story here. Verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Elijah challenges the people. It's time to decide. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow Baal? I think we're living in a generation that is very indifferent to the gospel of Christ. We're living in a generation that is very indifferent to the truth of God. We're living in a time where it becomes more and more important for us not to sit on the fence but to make a decision regarding who we will follow. 
And Elijah challenges the people, but they don't answer him a word. And, and you know the rest of the story. The priests, he challenges the priests and he says, okay, you call upon your God for fire to come down from heaven to consume your sacrifice and, and I'll call upon my God and we'll see which God answers. And so the Baal prophets, they start dancing around their altar and they cut themselves with knives. They are bleeding and they are praying and shouting and, and nothing happens. And then the Bible tells us at the end of the day, in the evening, and this was very significant because in Israel... God commanded that each morning and each evening the family would gather together and each family would have their altar where they would come together to worship the living God. And so it is very significant that in the end of the day, in the evening, Elijah comes and he draws near to the people, the Bible says, and he takes 12 stones and he puts them together, signifying the unity of the nation if they will unite in God, in his story. And he prays earnestly, and God answers, and fire comes down from heaven. It consumes the uh, sacrifice, it consumes the altar, it, it, it even just removes the water that is around the altar. Amazing. God answers this prayer from Elijah, and God manifests his power in the midst of his people. And the story of Elijah has so much significance for us today because we are promised in Scripture that the spirit of Elijah will return in the last generation. I want you to take notice of this. This was actually our Scripture reading. If you turn to the last verses in the Old Testament, um, the book of Malachi, and it's a little bit different in the English Bible um, as it is in the um, Danish Bible. I know the verse... Uh, division is a bit different, but just go to the very last two verses of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And I want you to take notice of the promise that is given here concerning the spirit of Elijah. The power that was upon Elijah would come back. And Malachi, he describes it this way. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Those are the last words of the Old Testament. And from Malachi to the coming of Jesus, there was about 400 years. And so it's, it's like this, this promise is just, you know, it's just resounding in the minds of the people throughout these years where there was no revelation from God, no prophets in the land. And yet these words that, that the spirit of Elijah, Elijah will come back. Elijah will come back. He's going he's gonna to unite the families again. The hearts of the father is going to be turned to the children, the children to the fathers. There's going to be this great blessing if they would remain faithful to God. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. And John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ, Christ's first coming. When Christ first came to this earth, John the Baptist prepared the way for him and pointed to Jesus. Remember, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the earth, the sins of the world. So, it, there was a very, in a very significant way, the spirit of Elijah was upon John the Baptist. And Jesus even said it. He said, If you were looking for the spirit of Elijah, it was on John the Baptist. But then, but then this is not the only time where the spirit of Elijah is going to be manifested. Because the spirit of Elijah, just like it was manifested 
before the first coming of Christ, so it is going to be manifested again before the second coming of Christ. And that's the time in which we are living. So in a way, you and I, our lives, are like the life of John the Baptist. We have a specific task that we have been given. And that is to usher in the coming of Christ, to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. Not the first time, but the second time, his second coming. And when you think about that great task, I mean, isn't that just an amazing an amazing responsibility. I mean, that God would entrust us, weak, frail human beings, living after 6,000 years of degradation. And here we are in the end of time. And God entrusts us to be the forerunners of his second coming. I mean, that's a, that's an, a thought that it just blows the mind. But, but again, what I, what I said earlier... I want to repeat again, whenever we're called to do something extraordinary for God, we must remember how many things? Two things. Number one, who's doing the inviting? Number two, who's being invited? God is doing the inviting. That should settle everything. If God invites, if God is the one writing the story, if God is going to do do it, then we, the ones that are invited, even though we're frail, even though we're weak, even though we're not capable... We can, by faith, say, okay, I'm not able, but I'm following, I am. I'm following the one that is able. And so I enter into his story because what he said, he's going to make happen. When, he told, when Samuel told Saul, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, it happened exactly that way. And God has told us what's going to happen. He's given us signs, and the signs have come to pass. Up, it is up to us to receive the spirit of Elijah in this generation. That's the great call. Do as the occasion demands. What does the occasion demand? Receiving the spirit of Elijah. And what did Elijah do? He repaired the altar. And that's why we need to repair the altar of our families because if the family is not united, the church is not united. Amen? I mean, how do you have a strong church? You have a strong church because it's made up of units of families. So if the family is weak, the church is going to be weak. And if there is a main attack that Satan is employing today, it is the attack on Christian families. I mean, there's an attack on the Sabbath, and there's an attack on the family. Two things that we find introduced in Eden. And the family is is something that is the building block of life. And God God knows the power in a well-ordered family. And Satan knows the weakness in a disordered family. You see, we are not only a chosen generation, we are a targeted generation. We are a chosen generation by God, but we are a target generation by the devil. He has us in his target. He knows what he needs to destroy in order to undo all of our influence in this world. And how can he remove your influence? He will attack the family. There's a serious battle going on you know, I was um, working with a pastor in New Zealand some years ago, and um, he told this amazing story. He said that his wife, he was actually from Australia, but he was working in New Zealand, and I was working with him, and, and he said that his wife was traveling on a train in Melbourne, which is a city in the south part of Australia. And as she's traveling on this train, opposite of her in the train was sitting another woman, and It appeared to her that this woman that she was sitting opposite of was praying. 
And so she said to this lady, oh, it's so good to see um, that you're praying. It's so good to, to meet another Christian. But do you know what this woman said that was sitting opposite of her? She said, why do you think that I'm praying? She said, I'm not praying to God, but I'm praying to Satan, she said. And she said that at 12 o'clock every noon, they would, there would be different um, followers of Satan that would be praying for the breakup of families. I mean, that's incredible to think about, that there are actually people that are praying, not for families to be united, but for families to be broken up. Isn't that amazing? I heard this other story from an evangelical pastor, actually, that went to the city of Boston to meet with a variety of pastors from, um, to, to um, unite in prayer and talk about how they could share the gospel um, in their city. And as he was on the flight to Boston, he was on his way to this gathering of pastors where they would be praying. As, he's, as the flight is, as, as they're taking off in the plane, he's sitting next to a man. And it appears also that this man is praying. He's bowing his head. And so he says, oh, great to sit next to a Christian. And this man responded in the same way as this lady in the train. Why do you think I'm a Christian? Not only Christians pray, he said. He says, no, we are a group of Satanists and we are on our way to Boston because we heard about a meeting of pastors. And we are going to pray specifically that their families will break up. It's a true story. I mean, there are people gathering that are praying for the breakup of families. And, and sometimes we, 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 we don't pray for our own families. We're rather watching TV. Or we're occupied with sports. Or we're occupied with the things of this life. Our jobs, our careers, our vacations. And meanwhile, our family is being robbed from us. You see, we are living at a time where the altar needs to be rebuilt. And Elijah, what did he do? He took the stones and he put them together. Very significant. He was uniting the family of Israel. And we are living in a time that the occasion demands the reuniting of Christian families. Amen? Because if the family is strong, and if the, and if the husband will take the role of the priest in the home, when this happens, what will happen? The church will become strong. And it will become a witness to the world of what God can do. I've given this challenge to many people. I say, you know what? Take your Bible and put it next to the remote control of your TV. And see in a week which one you pick up more, more frequently. And that will tell you where your heart lies. And if, if TV is not your problem, then put your, put your Bible next to your laptop. And see where you spend most of your time. And why not just take a little piece of paper and write how much hours you spend on Facebook and how many hours you spend in the Word of God? Why not just look for a moment at your life and say, okay, how much time do I use for this and how much do I t time do I use for God? That will show you. You wonder sometimes why your prayers are not heard. You wonder sometimes why you don't feel the power of God. Could it be that we have not done as the occasion demands? Could it be that we have lacked taking responsibility in our lives or in the lives of our family? And we've let Satan take control? My friends, more than ever, God wants to see revival in his church. Can you say amen? And that revival will not happen without us taking the reins into our own hands. Not taking the story away from God. It's his story. He's going to do it. But it means to, to do what the occasion demands. 
to lead our lives, to lead our families, to rebuild the altar in the home. I pray that this will be your experience so that you may enter into God's story and so that we will experience the spirit of Elijah. It's my, it's my prayer more than anything else. It's my prayer that we will see the spirit of Elijah upon this generation, that we can recapture the wonder of Adventism. I mean, we need to understand what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist living in these final generation. To write the last chapters. Recapture the wonder. Fall in love with God anew. And enter into that door, through that door, into this amazing story. His story. And you will experience the blessing of prayer, the blessing of study, the blessing of sharing. And God will do for you what no other can do for you. I pray that you will have this excitement that is within the Advent movement. It's ordained to be there. It's ordained by God. The excitement of, of the coming of Christ. Yes, in the end of time, yes. But also every single moment. The anticipation, yes. He is coming and he wants to come even right now into my life. As I told you earlier, my, my wife and I are, are greatly excited because we're about to have a child. We're anticipating um, a baby next month. But, you know, it's just like the anticipation of, of, of something great like that in life. You know, how much more the anticipation of Jesus himself coming into your life? Amen? Being born in you? The new birth? I mean, it's amazing. By the way, you know what we're going you know to name our child? I'll tell you right now. We're going to call him Elias. Because isn't that the generation? That's the New Testament name for Elijah. Amen? So that's going to be the name of our child. And hopefully it's a prophecy. Hopefully it's a prophecy that this will be the generation that will receive the spirit of Elias, the spirit of Elijah, and they will not taste death. Can you say amen? They will be translated right up into heaven. So that's my prayer for each one of us. If there's anything that hinders you right now, lay it at the feet of the cross. Let God take it. Let God take it away. It's not worth holding on to. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. You know, sometimes I think to myself, if... (laughs) If God could open the door of heaven and just allow us to peek in for five seconds, it would change our life forever. And everything that we thought was so important and worth holding on to, we would suddenly let go. Five minutes, five seconds. Five seconds of peeking into that door would be enough. And yet we have a revelation of what it's going to be like right here. Hold on to that revelation. Don't let let Satan rob it from you. Whatever robs your affections from Christ... Identify it in your life and do as the occasion demands. Lay it at the feet of the cross. I just want to close this message with an appeal. Maybe there's someone here today that says, I want to do what the occasion demands. I see that in my life, there are things that have hindered me from experiencing Christ fully. And I know what the occasion demands. I don't need to tell you. The Holy Spirit tells you that right now. And you say, I want to bring this before Jesus I don't want to write my own story. I want him to write my story. I want to lay it at the foot of the cross. I want forgiveness and peace. Is there anyone that wants to say that this morning? I want to do as the occasion demands. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for us all that that will be our story. Why don't we kneel down as we pray in closing? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word and the power of your word to transform our lives and to shape us in your image. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us your word and 
that we have the freedom to study it and that it has the power to change us. And Lord, as we study and read about the lives of men in the past and see how they clung to you, how they prayed fervently for the outpouring of your spirit, we want to do the same. Lord, we want to see the spirit of Elijah return in this generation. Lord, we want to be in that number that sees you coming in the clouds of heaven. We are Seventh-day Adventists. Help us to know what that means. Help us to recapture the wonder of Adventism. Not just one day in the week, not just one event at the end of time, but Lord, every single moment of every single day. May we know what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist, to have you as part of our lives, part of every decision and choice, that you may be first and last and foremost in everything. Help us to rebuild the altar of our lives and the altar of our families. Lord, that they have been broken down by the enemy. We are not only a chosen generation, we are a targeted generation. But Lord, we know that through you, the enemy can be overthrown and your kingdom can be built. And so we pray for this experience. We love you. We want to love you more. And we pray that you will do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you that you have started a work and that you have promised to complete it. And in this we trust. And in this we pray. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.